Amen. So we're in a series right now. Um, it is called Organic Faith, and um, we're looking at tender-hearted mercy today. In this series, we're just looking at what it looks like to cultivate a life with Christ and, and that grows naturally. We want to be a people that always grows in Christ. We don't want to be satisfied with where we are. We want to keep growing and learning more about Christ. Um, and so today, we're looking at tender-hearted mercy. And so let's just jump into this. Uh, we're in Colossians 3.12. If you want to get your phones out and follow along with me, I'm in the NLT version. Um, or you can get a physical Bible out, which I personally enjoy. I grew up I grew up in church where, like, if you didn't bring your Bible to church, like, ooh, people judged you. So it's, like, ingrained in me. But So let me read it. It's Colossians 3.12, and this is a letter from Paul to the Christians, to the church in Colossae. Uh, it's a just for fun, a modern, it's in modern day Turkey, um, and it's, I think it's kind of cool, it hasn't been, uh, excavated yet, like, they haven't dug the city up, you can see the ruins there, but they haven't, like, gone through and dug anything up, so there's still lots to learn about this city, but here's what Paul writes to them in Colossians 3.12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, make allowance for each other's faults, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must also forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which bind us together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as a member of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful." The reason I chose this verse is something that's been working on, on my heart for the last two years. And it came about two years ago when uh, kind of randomly uh, I taught on this verse in youth. Um, part of my job here is hanging out with the youth, which is a fun time. Um, small plug for them. Come join us. It's a good time. Um, so I, I started doing this verse, and it was just supposed to be one lesson, and then I was like, man, I could make a whole series of lessons out of this. We could do tenderhearted mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and love, and so I did that. So we had a five-week series, and then today came, well, last week came, and I was like, what am I going to teach about? And I was like, that, I love that verse, so I'm going to teach about this. So I thought, I think I should combine all five of those into one lesson, and as I started it, I figured we might be here till 4 p.m., so... Do you guys want to be here till four? No, no one wants to be here till four. So um, I'm just going to stick at tenderhearted mercy. And I, I started with that and I couldn't stop. Like it just kept going. And I feel like I could talk about this for two hours, just this tenderhearted mercy. I won't do that to you. Um, but that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, but before we get to the tenderhearted mercy part, uh, there's this imagery that Paul uses at the beginning of the verse. And he says, clothe yourselves. And clothes, they're such an identifying thing for us, aren't they? Like, I see a few of you out there in LSU shirts. Like, you are identifying yourself as an LSU fan. You don't wear a maroon shirt on a Saturday game day. That's not something that you ever do, right? Because you're identifying yourself, even if you don't mean to, which I did once when I first moved here, um, <laughs> that you are on a certain side. And so I, clothes identify us. And so Paul is saying, like, put on these as clothes. Put on tenderhearted, tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience as clothes so that people know exactly who you are. They identify you. Um, this is a picture from, uh, of my girls from about a year and a half ago. Um, 
and they're wearing clothes, and you can readily identify what they're doing, right? They've got uh, cold-weather hats on, they've got uh, snow jackets and mittens on, and and snow pants on, like you can easily identify where they are. And of course, they're at the beach. Oh, <laughs> whoops. Uh, no, they're in the mountains, right? Like we went to Colorado, we had to get some cold weather stuff that we didn't have, and you can easily identify what they're up to just by the, what they're wearing. You know what they're doing just by looking at them. You can identify them. And this is what we're asked to do as Christians. This is what Paul's talking about. We're supposed to wear this stuff, make it a part of who we are. It's, it becomes the very fabric, pun intended, of our identity. So much so that when people see us, when people interact with us, they know exactly what we're up to. They know that the people that have, that practice this kind of, uh, this kind of kindness and love towards people and tenderhearted mercy towards people, those people are Christ followers and they can see us coming from a mile away. So this first word in the, in the, in the string um, is mercy. In this uh, string of words is tender-hearted mercy. And it's, it's not just mercy. It's coupled with tender-hearted mercy. It's that kind of mercy that like, comes from your gut. In fact, the word here for tender-hearted mercy in the Greek, um, the root word, it means spleen. Um, so it's like the very innards of you. And then another portion in the Bible, one time it's used because a guy was cut open and his gut spilled out and it used the word, that word. Um, and so it is this like inner gut, tender-hearted mercy. Now the definition of uh, mercy, I just Googled this. Um, and it says the compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. And you guys have probably been in that situation. Maybe you gave mercy or you received mercy. Someone wronged you. Um, you had the right to make them uh, pay that back. You had the right to, um, maybe if they knocked down your fence with their car, you had the right to have them pay for a new fence or build a new fence. Um, if you chose to just forgive that and say, hey, don't worry about it, that would be mercy. You're having mercy on a person. I received mercy had a job once, actually multiple times, but this story um, comes right after we, I had graduated from college and just gotten married, and there were some people uh, that advised us not to, we knew that we wanted to go into ministry, we had just finished four years of Bible school, and they said, hey listen, you just got married, don't rush into ministry, just live life together as a married couple for a little bit. So I was like, cool. So I was looking for the want ads on the internet, and um, Sears Automotive was hiring. I don't know anything about cars, but I said, being a mechanic could be fun. <laughs> so um, I wanted to learn. I really did. And so I applied for this job. Some, for some reason, they hired me, and they let me do the basic stuff. Like I did, uh, you know, if your battery was dead, I'd put a new battery in your car. I would change your tires, do oil changes, um, stuff like that. So pretty basic stuff, but I was not good at it. Um, I just kept like missing little things that like someone who you know did some like trade school would just get right away and so there was this one time this one specific time where I was doing an oil change something that's pretty easy and I take the dipstick out from the engine block there um, and I look at it you know the oil looks good wipe it off and I go to stick the stick back in and the, the dipstick hole is completely vanished. I don't even know that if that's what it's called, a dipstick hole. Does anybody know? Uh, the, 
the dipsicle is gone. Like, it's just vanished. There's nothing there. I, I was beginning to think that maybe someone was playing a trick on me, and this car didn't have one, and they just taped the dipstick to the side of the engine block or something. I don't know. I could not figure it out. And so, eventually, after a few minutes, which is way too long, I called over to one of my uh, seasoned co-workers. I was like, hey, man, come over here. And I was about to admit my fault. And then my boss saw me call this guy over, and he was like, hey, and he came over, and he was like, why do two of you need to be working on an oil change? And I said, oh, no, I've got to say this in front of everybody. And I said, I can't find the dipstick hole. And I just kind of, you know, just got through it. And my boss looks at the car, and he pulls back some wires, just like this, one finger. He's like, is that it? And I was like, oh, I wanted to die right there. So he calls me into his office later. He's like, Dan, this isn't working out for you. And where I got mercy was when he said, listen, you can't be a mechanic anymore, but I do want to offer you a sales position where you can sell the parts of the cars. Maybe you could do that. And so I just felt incredibly grateful. I got mercy there from him, and I started doing that. I was way better at that. <laughs> I'm a people person. I want to, like, hang out with people and stuff. Um, so I was so glad that I got mercy from him. But that example, that's just like regular old mercy, isn't it? Like there is no tender feelings from him. He didn't, he didn't have like uh, that gut check within himself for me. That was just regular mercy. And it's great. Regular mercy is good. Um, a better example of, of tender-hearted mercy, there's this girl that I know, uh, one of my friends, that um, she was in high school at the time. And she had just gotten her driver's license you guys, uh, you guys know what the first thing they tell you not to do behind the wheel? They tell you don't drink and drive and don't text and drive. So here's an actual picture of her. Just kidding. It's not really her. It's some <laughs> picture I found on the internet. Um, don't text and drive, right? And so she gets her driver's license. Her dad um, buys her and her brother a new car that they're supposed to share. Not a new car, new to them. And of course, she texts and she drives and she runs a red light and gets T-boned at the light and the car is just crushed and crumpled and completely totaled. There's no hope for it. She calls her dad, says, Dad, I totaled the car. Uh, I was texting and driving. I'm so sorry. Dad says, just hang out there. I'll be there in a second. Dad gets there and just wraps her in a huge hug and says, I love you. I'm so glad you're okay. I'm so happy that nothing has harmed you, that you're just fine. And if that wasn't enough, then that night, he got the family together and he said, hey, everybody, your sister is okay. She got in a car wreck today, but we are going to celebrate with a pizza party. So they went out to the pizza buffet and they got a bunch of pizza and they celebrated that she was okay. And that to me, that to me is a, a story of tender-hearted mercy, like the, the kind of mercy that a father has for his son or daughter, the kind of mercy that's coupled with love, that's coupled with compassion. That's the kind of tender-hearted mercy that Christ has for us. It reminds me, um, there's plenty of stories in the Bible about mercy, isn't there? But one of my favorites is uh, the story of Hosea. He's a prophet in the Old Testament, um, and he lived in a time when Israel was in a time of prosperity. They were comfortable. They could get whatever they wanted. Um, you see, Israel was this group of people that committed themselves to God, and God committed himself to them. It was like a marriage. They promised to serve each other. 
Uh, the problem was that Israel was no longer worshiping God. They have left the God that had given, given them so much, and they started worshiping these false gods, the trendy gods. They were, back then, they were like trendy gods to worship, and so they went after the trendy gods made of wood and gold. Um, they started uh, chasing comfort and money and power, and they stopped caring about God. And that's where Hosea comes in. And Hosea is one of the most unique love stories that I've ever heard because he falls in love with a prostitute. And not only does he fall in love with a prostitute and want to marry her, which is just shameful, right? Um, for, especially for that society. But God goes ahead and blesses the marriage and says, yes, go ahead, marry her. You guys are going to be an example of how Israel and I are married. And so they get married and she... Her name's Gomer. She keeps cheating on Hosea, um, even in their young love, even after they get married. And Hosea continues to love her anyway, continues to forgive her and love her and welcome, him, welcome her back into their home. Um, she goes out. She keeps uh, prostituting. She eventually gets pregnant. It's not his kid. He chooses to love her anyway. She gets pregnant again. Again, it's not his kid. He chooses to love her anyway and forgive her anyway. She goes out, out again and again and again. She gets pregnant again, still not his kid, and he chooses to love her anyway. At this point, it's really a choice, isn't it? Like, that is, that is a hard thing to do. I cannot fathom that happening to me and me having the same reaction as Hosea to continue to love um, his wife. And so, what do you think Hosea is thinking at this point? I mean, at this point, I would want to give up. And since this is a story about God and Israel, like, what is God thinking at this point? Like, Israel has turned their backs on God over and over and over again. And he continues to love them and love them and love them and love them and forgive them and forgive them. And what are you thinking at this point? You're going to be pretty upset. And you have every right to be upset. Like, that's within your rights to be upset. Um... God uses, God is upset here, and he uses some pretty harsh language in Hosea. He says, uh, this is from Hosea 6, 9, um, and he uses some pretty harsh, harsh language. It says, one thing is certain, Israel, on your day of punishment, you will become a heap of rubble. The leaders of Judah have become like thieves, so I will pour out my anger on them like a waterfall. The people of Israel will be crushed and broken by my judgment because they are determined to worship idols. I will destroy Israel as a moth consumes wool. So harsh language. He's fed up, and rightfully so. The Israel's broken their end of the agreement. Um... And so he has a right to be angry. He has, he has every right to be that. But later in the book, we read in chapter 11. I'm going to read this chapter, or most of it. Just stay with me and, and hang on to these words if you want. You can uh, close your eyes. So God's fed up with Israel, and, and then he says this. When Israel was a child, I loved him. I called my son out of Egypt, but the more I called him, the farther he moved from me. He offered sacrifices to the images of false gods and burned incense to idols. I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand. But he doesn't even know or even care that I was the one 
who took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck and and I myself stooped to feed him. But since my people refuse to return to me, they will return to Egypt and be forced to serve Assyria. War will swirl through their cities. Their enemies will crash through their gates. They will destroy them, trapping them in their own evil plans. For my people are determined to desert me. They call me the Most High, but they don't truly honor me. And then God says this, Oh, how can I give you up, O Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you? How can I demolish you? My heart recoils within me. My heart is torn within me, and my compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel, for I am God and not a man. So this, this is tender-hearted mercy. Israel's turned their back on God's thou- God on thousands of occasions. And God says, I, I have the right and what is just is to turn my back on you guys, but I can't. I love you so deeply that my heart just turns within me. It recoils within me at having to destroy you or, or turning my back on you. His love for them is too strong. And this tender-hearted mercy, it's an intense coupling of love, forgiveness, compassion, and mercy. It's packed with depth and feeling and meaning. I want to take a pause from all of this. Just to say that if you are in a place in your life where your back is turned on God, maybe it's your whole life your back is turned on God, maybe it's one area of your life where your back is turned on God, God offers you tender-hearted mercy. Tender-hearted mercy. He doesn't sit up there with with judgment and anger. He has arms wide open with a tender heart. That phrase that's in here, he says, for I am God and not a man. Don't we often take our humanity and we project it onto God? We say, man, if I've done this, I would feel this way, and so God, you must feel that way too. But he doesn't. God's a, God is God. God is totally different than us. He's, he, doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't condemn us. He waits for open, he has open arms and a soft heart for you. And so wherever you are in life, whatever thing you have that your back is turned to God, he just waits for you with a tender heart. In fact, uh, at the end of Hosea, um, In chapter 14, he says, this is the very last chapter of Hosea. He's wrapping it all up. And he says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, Forgive all of our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you praise. Uh, Skipping down to verse 4 here. And the Lord says, Then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. He goes on and on um, about, I've skipped some slides here. He goes on and on about how they'll thrive in his kingdom. They'll blossom in his kingdom. They'll flourish in his kingdom if they would just turn to him. 
and for all of those things that he said early in Hosea, they're all canceled out. The destruction, the moth eating them like wool, like that's gone. If they'll only turn to him and he embraces them and offers them this tender-hearted mercy. Not just mercy like I got at Sears, but tender-hearted mercy. The kind of mercy that a father gives to his children. Let's head back to Colossians 3.12, where Paul's talking to the Colossians. I just want to read the first part of it again. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's fault and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So here we have this encouragement from Paul, as so often we do. We see Christ do something, we see God do something, and then we're supposed to mimic that in our communities. We're supposed to give tender-hearted mercy away. Just as we've been given it, we give it away. And we, we, we've seen it on this God level. We've seen this tender-hearted mercy on a God level. And now we try and do our best, and we're going to fail for sure. But we're going to try, and we're going to do it to the best of our ability. Only when we give this tender-hearted mercy, when we give patience, when we give kindness and humility away, we don't lose anything, right? There's absolutely nothing that we lose. In fact, we gain something. The other day, while I was preparing the sermon, um, I was driving down Antioch at about 5.30, and I was coming back to the church, and at about 5.30, that light right there on Antioch and Tiger Bend gets so backed up. Does anybody get stuck in that track? Okay, I see a lot of heads. Great. Um, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I'm coming back to the church, um, and I get in that line of traffic, and I'm in a hurry. I'm late for uh, what I'm supposed to be doing at the church. And so this car, he wants to pull in front of me and then go the other way. So not only do I have to let him in, but then he's got to wait in front of me for the other cars to stop, and then, then he can go. So I'm like, no, I'm not letting you in. Um, <laughs> I'm in a hurry, and you, you're not coming in here. So I get really close to the other bumper of the car, you know, and he starts to wedge himself in there. Like, he wants to play chicken, and he won. He won the game of chicken, and, I was, and he was in front of me. I was like, ah! you guys ever do that one in your car? I do it all the time. And so then traffic on the other side opens up, and he goes, and then I catch up to the rest of the traffic. You know what that cost me? About seven literal seconds of my life. And you know, what I, you know what I gained? I gained a hard heart, like all the way to church. I was like, I can't believe that guy did that. He invaded my rights and my space. That's ridiculous. And here I am teaching about tender-hearted mercy. What, what if we did the opposite? Like, this is the very basic, bare-bones tender-hearted mercy to, to a stranger I don't even know that's taking seven seconds from my life. Um, so what if, what if we flip that on the other side, and what if I just let him in? Like, my heart is joyful about it. It doesn't completely change my life, but I, I have a heart that Christ has. And then... What if we did this in our communities where we live it, with people that we know? We do this at work. We have that tender-hearted mercy for people at work. Like that person that, um, 
that always annoys you at work or is always gossiping, like what if you had tender-hearted mercy for them? Or what if this was uh, your home, your family life? This might be the hardest thing to do, is to offer tender-hearted mercy to the people in your family. Or church, this is written to the church. And so this is for us. We're not a perfect church. We've got our flaws. And what if you were to to just give this stuff away? Tender-hearted mercy, kindness, patience towards people. Paul uses this uh, really interesting phrase. Uh, I I think it's a a great, uh, well, he says, make allowance for each other's faults. Make allowance for each other's faults. What would that look like if you were making allowance for each other's faults? I was trying to think of a real-world example of this, but I don't know if we really have one. Like, I was trying to think maybe sports. Uh, we kind of, d- we don't expect them to make every pass, and then I was thinking, yeah, we do. We, we expect <laughs> a lot. Um, we expect perfection from our athletes and refs. Thank you, NFL. Um, and so, so I, I don't think that was a very good example, and we just don't do it very well. Maybe you can think of an example, but we're not very good at allowing for people's faults in our society. And you see that in the world today. You see how um, people don't let things go. People can't make allowances for people's faults. So make allowance for people's faults in your family, in your church, in your work with strangers on the road. Make allowances for that. Let it happen and have tender-hearted mercy towards them. Um, in Galatians, uh, Galatians 5, tw- 5.19, 5.20, there's, there's this list of things right before the fruit of the Spirit. I call them the fruit of Satan right before that. Um, because they're the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. And I was thinking, like, with all of these things, I'll just read them for you real quick. Uh, Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and wild parties. Um, Those are all those things that are listed that, like, those don't belong in the kingdom of God. I was thinking, if we had tender-hearted mercy... Like, half of those things are gone. If you allow for people's faults, if you have tender-hearted mercy for people, hostility's gone, quarreling's gone, jealousy's gone, outbursts of anger are probably gone, dissensions are gone, divisions are gone. We lose half of those if we would just have tender-hearted mercy for each other. Time for practical tips. Um... The first one is uh, the first step. Accept God's tender-hearted mercy for you. You can't give something away that you haven't received yourself. If you don't know what it is to have tender-hearted mercy, God waits for you with open arms and a tender heart to turn to him and say, God, I'm done living for myself. I'm done doing my own stuff. I want to turn to you. I want to live for you now. And he waits for that with with a tender heart. A few weeks ago, I shared about the prodigal son and how that father, you guys know the story, that father was just ready to like scoop his son up. He ran to him and he put the family ring on his finger and he said, I love you. Let's have a party. That's tender-hearted mercy. God has mercy and compassion for you. 
And, and Hosea makes it pretty clear that, that all you have to do is turn to him and ask for forgiveness. That's all it is. Um, my next tip for you is practice premeditated, tender-hearted mercy. What would it look like for you to seek out ways and be prepared to give tender-hearted mercy? I don't know anyone or any situation that, is, that a person has given tender-hearted mercy by an accident. Like, oh, you wronged me. Oh, mercy. Oh, well, I didn't mean to do that. That's not what happens, right? It's like this, this intentional, premeditated act. If you're not looking for ways where you can give it, if I had left my driveway before I hit that traffic and just asked God, hey, God, show me where I can give tender-hearted mercy, I bet that whole traffic thing of costing me seven seconds wouldn't have happened, you know? And so I think... Um, it's just a matter of looking for it. Where can we give tender-hearted mercy away? Where can we give it? And maybe you have that person in your head right now. Maybe you have that situation in your head right now. Um, ask God about that. Go to him with that. In uh, Matthew seven eleven, uh, Jesus says uh, that he loves to give good gifts to his kids. And he's not talking about yachts and Mercedes there. He's He's talking about uh, spiritual gifts. He's talking about good things to give to his kids. And so I think if you just say, God, give me a heart of tender-hearted mercy for others, he'll give that to you. At least he'll give opportunities for you to have that. And if he gives you, listen to this, if, he, if you ask for that, and, he, and you find yourself just giving people mercy left and right, tender-hearted mercy left and right, that's like miracle status, because that just doesn't happen. So if it does happen to you, let us know. That's awesome. But God's going to give you plenty of opportunities to choose tender-hearted mercy and make allowances for people's faults in that. So those are two practical tips. Accept God's mercy and then go out and just give it freely. Look for ways that you can, that you can give that away. Will you guys stand with me? And we're going to do uh, two things. Uh, we're going to sing one last song. Um, communion's going to be available. Uh, we've got three communion stations. One is at the back. That's a gluten-free station. And then we've got two under the projectors. Um, and you can come up and get communion as you feel led. And about communion, we practice open communion here. So if you aren't a part of our church, um, but you want to get communion, that's fine. And maybe this is a time. Maybe communion is, is the first step to turning towards Jesus and accepting his tender-hearted mercy. Maybe as you get communion, you say, okay, Jesus, I want you, I turn to you, and I take communion because you died on the cross for my sins, and I accept that, and I want to live in your kingdom now. The other thing we're going to do is we're going to have some prayer teams. We'll have one prayer team in the back and another prayer team up here right by this little wedge. And if you want prayer for absolutely anything, we would love to pray for you. It can be um, what I talked about today or probably maybe more likely uh, something's going on in your life. Maybe you had a hard week at week work. We can pray for that. Um, I always say we'll pray for little things. Like if you stubbed your toe and it still hurts, let's pray for that. That's fine. Jesus cares about that stuff. Um, so we want to be praying for you. Um, so come enjoy prayer. Come enjoy communion um, as we sing this last song.
Thanks for being with us today. Um, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. And from me, may you, may you receive mercy from God and then go out and give it freely. You're officially dismissed. If you want to keep worshiping, you can hang around here. We're going to sing a couple more songs.